morning. My name is Dana, and um, I'm one of the pastors at Erickson Covenant Church, and this is my dining room table. <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about the table. I got this, um, I got it 11 years ago or something like that. Uh, I was 26 years old, and I had just bought my first house with my best friend, Susanna, and um, we didn't have any money, <laughs> and so we didn't uh, we didn't have any money for furniture, so all of our stuff was secondhand, which is fine. And I found this table on a website called FreeCycle, where people just gave away stuff they were done with. And at the time, <laughs> it wasn't in great shape. I mean, that's still true now, but it was really true then. Um, it was it didn't have any finish on it. It was just like raw wood, pine. It had crayons all over it. Somebody used it in the nursery school and. Um, had this huge crack down the middle, which it does still have. And, uh, you know, it was pretty beaten up, but it was big. And that's what we needed, and it was free, and that was the right price, and so we brought it home. And over the years, I refinished it. That was the first time I tried anything like that. <laughs> and it turned out okay. <laughs> um, and I took it all across the country with me, because it turns out you can fit about, you know, 10 people at that table if you really want to, and that's pretty important. And I love this table. But when I was getting ready to move to Creston, it was the first time I had used a moving company instead of a U-Haul truck. And it turns out, did you know this, that moving companies charge by weight. So (laughs) anything you own that's heavy, you're going to think twice about. And so I got rid of all kinds of stuff, dressers and chairs and beds and books, and I thought I'm going to sell this table. And so I wrote, I took pictures of it, I put a nice filter on them, and I put it up on Kijiji, and I got nobody interested. (laughs) So I posted the Kijiji out on my Facebook page because I thought, well, maybe somebody I know knows somebody who's interested in blah, blah, blah. Well, it was a storm, like just an uproar on Facebook among my friends at the idea that I was getting rid of the dining room table. Like people from Regina and Fredericton and Pennsylvania and Toronto, everybody's just there. I mean, it was probably my most commented on Facebook post, right? But people are just, they're just trying, don't, what are you doing? Don't give the table away. And people are saying, you know, I, I love that table. I study the Bible at that table. So many people have been at that table and, and people started offering to send me money. If I would ship it to someone else in the family, right? It's not my family. My family does not want this table. My mom's, I got my own table. Thank you very much. And it's nicer than yours. It's not my family. It's this spiritual family. And we realized, like, I just realized, oh, in some kind of strange way, this has become like grandma's table for a lot of people over the years where they remember studying scripture and praying and bringing their friends and eating and laughing like we really laughed and learning to cook so we ate some weird stuff and you know just all kinds of things that happened around this table so i brought it with me because in the end that was cheaper than shipping it to someone else (laughs) that's right it's quite funny so i brought it with me and it doesn't fit in my house which is fantastic Uh, so I use it as a desk now. I have it in my office, and I kind of like the idea that my, like my, some of my history is with me every day as I'm working on new things. Um, I brought it out of my office 
onto the stage this morning because I want us to just have a visual reminder of the good things that happen around a table. In John 12, there's a story about a dinner party that Mary and Martha and Lazarus throw for Jesus. And we talked about this family last week. We met Mary, Martha, and Lazarus last week. Um, Jesus is very good friends with them. It's two sisters, probably single women, and they live with their brother because in that culture you needed to live with, uh, with a man. You couldn't live by yourself if you were single. Um, and when Lazarus gets sick, Jesus waited for a few days before he came to uh, see the family. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has died and the sisters are devastated. They really love Jesus, and they had hoped that Jesus would come in time to heal their brother, but instead the body is four days in the grave before he gets there. And then something crazy happens. Jesus has the grave opened. He has someone open it up, and then he calls to his friend, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb. He just walks out of the grave after being dead for four days. So that's kind of nuts, right? I think that's a little bit nuts. And some time passes, and scholars think maybe a month, and I don't know how long it is, and Jesus comes back into town, into Bethany, to see his friends again, and they throw a dinner for him, which makes sense, and that's where we pick up the story this morning. So we're going to read this together I know it's going to be small on the screen, but I'll read it out loud. This is from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. Now, some of us are involved in a Bible study on Thursdays, and I have been asking this group to look for the point of tension in the story. And the point of tension, like where things get angsty, is usually what the story is written for, right? That's usually what the author wants us to pay attention to. And it's the place that we have to, we have to dig in and we have to wrestle with if we're going to understand what the story is about. So in this story we just read, it's not, it's not a trick question, what's the point of tension? What creates angst in you when you hear this story? 
You can just call it out. Who's got one? Yeah, when Judas is angry, when he's like, what are you doing? But Yeah. Now, now, um, do you feel indignant that, that Judas is interrupting, or do you sort of agree with him? Okay, you don't agree with him. So it's, it's, he's interrupting this thing. Is anybody upset about the money? Like, I read this and I think, hmm, that might be a big waste. Does anybody, anybody feel that? Well, that's the tension, right? It's this waste thing that's being poured out, the perfume being poured out, and somebody saying, we shouldn't pour that out. Well, should we be pouring it out or should we not be pouring it out? And that's the place where that story gets, I mean, it is the place where the story gets tense because somebody starts to yell about it. <laughs> okay. I want to learn a little bit about that. It says that she brought a pound of perfume. Some other translations say a pint of perfume. And I'm going to use pint today because it's a liquid measure and that's easier. I don't know, I don't know how much a pound of a liquid is. So we're going to use pint. Now, nard is this amber colored essential oil that is known for its aromatic quality. They boil and distill down the oil that comes out of little flowers. And it smelled good, I guess, or at least it smelled strong. (laughs) And it was used in incense in the temple and sometimes very sparingly for cooking. And it was used as a perfume to sometimes to prepare bodies after burial because they didn't embalm bodies like they do today. And so if they were going to be out for any amount of time, they had to um, sort of wrap them up with perfume. We know it's expensive because when Judas objects, like Rita said, when Judas stands up and yells, he tells us that that perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, that's random. We don't know what that means. But, for again, for all of my friends in the Bible study, we were talking on Thursday about the usual daily wage. We were talking about a, a regular, agreed-upon daily wage that a laborer makes if he works for 12 hours. And that usual daily wage is one denarius. So let's try to put that in context. One denarius for 12 hours of work. In BC, I found out, because I'm not really from here, that minimum wage is going to go up in September to 11.25. So a 12-hour day in BC at minimum wage would bring you $135. So let's say for our purposes this morning that one denarius is worth $135. And Judah says the perfume is worth 300 denarii, which means that today this pint of of perfumed oil is worth $40,500. Right? (laughs) Okay. Now, I recently decided to jump on the essential oils bandwagon. Anybody else into essential oils? Yes, good. Okay, I know that Creston tends to be a young living town. And I'm sorry because my sister is into doTERRA, so I know that I'm going to upset some people. But that's what I got. I went with doTERRA, and I bought this little starter pack. I'm going to show you all my cute little oils. See how adorable they are? No one cares about that. Okay. Anyway... (laughs) 
I bought this starter pack. And one of the oils that comes in my starter pack is frankincense, like the oil that is at the nativity. And my friend who sells doTERRA, she says, now this is a good one. You're so lucky this comes in your starter pack. They call this liquid gold. Anything that's wrong with you, just use frankincense. And I think, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to be very good at oils. Um, so I know that I got, I got it because it came in the starter pack. It's extra tiny and it's crazy discounted. But if I bought this normally from doTERRA, it would be about three times the size of this. This is, this is, fifth, this is five milliliters. It would normally be 15. And a 15 milliliter bottle of frankincense, do you want to guess how much that costs? It's not 40 grand. $197. I know. And I find that just utterly insane. How can 15 milliliters of anything cost $197? And yet, when I do the math, a pint of frankincense would cost only $6,300. A pint is almost two cups. So I did some measuring. I know, not everybody can see this. But it turns out that this delightful jar that someone gave me is, this is what, this is what a pint looks like. This is almost two cups, 475 milliliters. Oh, and I'm just, by the way, using olive oil for this demonstration, so (laughs) wouldn't that be great? So Mary has almost two cups of nard perfume oil, this much oil, $40,000. And who knows exactly what that was intended for? Jesus himself said at least some of it was intended to prepare his body for burial. Some women would have these bottles of very very expensive perfume that were kept sealed to be part of their dowries when they got married. Um, But $40,000, I mean, that's someone's salary for the year or the down payment on a house or very nearly a university education. Or, as Judas points out, it could have been sold. And all that money given to the poor, that would have helped a lot of people. But that's not what happened. So let's imagine this scene together. Jesus and his 12 disciples are back in Bethany after a little while where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live and they're all at dinner together. Now, truthfully, in the Middle East, they wouldn't sit at a table like this. Um, It would be more like there'd be a low table on the floor and and cushions all around the outside and it would just be the men because women don't eat with the men, but... um, the men would be reclined at cushions all the way around the table. And then the women would serve food. And so they'd be bringing these platters of food in and setting them down. And it says in the story that Martha is serving. And so I imagine her coming in. I've I've been at these tables because I was in Jordan in the summer. Coming in with these platters of like little stuffed baby eggplants and cucumbers and chicken like you wouldn't believe. and, And setting stuff down in the middle and listening to their conversation and smiling like it's a happy dinner to be at. And then Mary comes bursting through the door, carrying something. And she's intense and focused, 
right? She walks right to Jesus at that table, and she opens this jar. Let me see if I can open my own jar. She opens this jar, and she pours this oil out all over his feet. That's a lot of oil. It's running everywhere because they're on the ground. So it runs all over his feet and the cushions and all over the floor. And the smell, the smell just fills the whole room up. I'm going to, this is frankincense and it's not the same. I don't know what nard smells like. And some people won't want to do this. But if you want to, I'll just pass it through the congregation. You can smell it. Like Try to imagine what it's like. Can I give this to you? Try to imagine what it's like for that to be thick and moving through this hot room. It's such an invasive picture. Mary just storms in and interrupts this dinner. She's made a huge spectacle. Everyone stops talking. There's oil everywhere running all over the floor. The smell is thick and overpowering. And then she kneels down beside him. Like, then she gets down on her knees in front of him, and she starts anointing his feet. It's a single woman kneeling down beside a single man, rubbing his feet with oil, and then wiping it off with her hair. I have these little um, artist models in my in my office, and I was messing around with them this week, trying to picture what this scene would look like. And this is what I came up with. And even with, even with wooden figures, it's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Like every time someone walked in my office, I was like, oh, what are they going to think those figures are doing? <laughs> right? But that's what this is. It's sensual like borderline erotic. And at the very least, an incredible degree of intimacy for this woman to be on the floor caressing his feet with her hair. So the interruption and the oil and the smell and the intimacy, and if you just sit with that, how does it make you feel? Like, it is not comfortable for me. All this tension builds up around the table. And maybe you freeze, and maybe you're trying to, like, avert your eyes. And maybe you wish you could just stop it like Judas does. He just bursts in and breaks that tension. All of a sudden, what are you doing? Why are you wasting it? It could have been sold. You could have given it to the poor. And the author gives us a little insight into Judas' motives. He's not really concerned about the poor. He's just... He carries their bag of money, and he'd like to slip some into his pockets. If she had given that money to them, it would have been a good day for Judas. But even if his motives are terrible, I understand why he wanted to interrupt. He's watching this incredibly invasive, uncomfortable scene play out, and he wants it to stop. And Jesus is real quick, leave her alone. He's not offended. He's not uncomfortable. He's not overwhelmed. 
And neither is Mary. She's not even thinking twice about it. How can this seem like a good idea? Why would she do that? I always feel like the tension in this story is because of the wasted money with the oil. But there's something else in it that I'd never thought about till I was getting ready this week. So when we go all the way back to the beginning, the text says, it's six days before the Passover, and Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Listen. What do you do if you are at a dinner party and the guy sitting over here used to be dead? He was dead. I never thought about that before. Your food is being brought out, and you look around, and over here, Lazarus, who was dead a few days ago, and over there, Jesus, who called him out of the grave. What do you talk about? What's the friendly chatter? Right, because Lazarus looks good. He's got good color. His eyes are glowing. His hair is good and shiny. But he used to be dead. He was dead. That is nuts. I think that's nuts. (laughs) A year ago in February, at the end of February, my grandma Faye, this is my sweet, cute grandma, um, she got really sick last year at this time. And I flew to Toronto to visit her because um, we really thought we were going to be saying goodbye. And when I got there, she was so hyped up on morphine (laughs) that she thought tigers were crawling out of the wall, which was actually quite funny for the rest of us, you know. But um, she was so tired and so weak that she couldn't really she couldn't really talk and she couldn't really laugh. And they had taken out her false teeth, and I was sitting there while um, my mom and grandpa went to have a break and was feeding her chocolate chip cookies, which I know isn't healthy, but we're just trying to get her to eat anything and. Um, and I thought, I'm never going to hear my grandma laugh again because she couldn't really do it. Like her, she was so drugged and so sick. She didn't have a sense of humor, first of all, but also she couldn't really laugh. And I thought, I'm never going to hear her laugh. She has this great laugh, like kind of this chuckle, but also she's annoyed. Like she always sounds annoyed at the same time, which is brilliant. So she's like exhaling annoyed air as she's chuckling and she's usually calling you names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she loves jokes, especially if they're dirty, right? The dirtier, the better. Like I remember one time I used to spend my summer holidays here and I came into the kitchen one morning and my grandma was waiting for me and she goes, oh, I love you right now. I was so flattered. I was like, thank you. Why? And she's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. You were super cute when you were small, but now I can swear around you. <laughs> All right. 
thanks, Grandma. And she just, she just howled with laughter. And until that day in the hospital, I had no idea how much I was going to miss that laugh. You know, and then suddenly, quite suddenly, things turned around and she got a lot better. And it was months before I saw her again because I didn't live in that province. And when I did see her, we had been together for a little while. And all of a sudden, somebody said something she thought was either funny or annoying. I don't know. And she cracked up laughing. And I just, I just lost it. I just burst into tears because I thought I was never going to hear that again. Right? I thought that sound was lost to me. And I think that that's what this table was like. And I think that's what was going on at this table. That everyone is there and it's dinner and they've had dinner so many times before. Like hundreds of times you have dinner together. But then Lazarus starts laughing And they remember, he was dead. He was dead. Because I bet that Mary and Martha started to forget a little bit that that even happened. You know, for a couple of hours or maybe even a whole day, they would just forget. And everything would seem really normal and they'd be thinking about other things. Like, my experience is that that is normal. I've, only a couple of times, but I've, a couple of times in my life, I've seen people be healed physically. And it's crazy to feel, and uh, crazy to see that, and you feel a little bit skeptical. And, and then after a while, what I did not expect was that I just started to forget it, like push it outside of my mind. I think that's because the cognitive dissonance that it creates when you see a physical healing, it's so, it's so weird. Because I know that people do not, like, I know cancer does not just disappear. But I also know my friend Adam had cancer one month, and then without any treatment, the next month on his scans, it was just gone. And so because I know those two things, and they do not fit together, that creates a lot of dissonance in me. And the way I tend to deal with that is I just stop thinking about Adam's story. I just set it to the side. And so sometimes I'll hear somebody else talking about a physical healing. And my internal response is, well, that's a little bit crazy. Something else must be going on. And then Adam pops into my mind and I remember, I've seen that. So I think that Mary and Martha were getting used to having Lazarus around every day. They're getting used to having him. They forget what happened. But then he laughs. And they remember. This group is at dinner with a man who actually reversed death. What does that mean? What is that? What do you even do with that? I've been thinking about it all week. I don't know what you do. (laughs) They're just at the table, and every time he laughs, they are struck with the absolute irrefutable knowledge that death has lost its power here. 
seriously, what would you say? What could you possibly do? What would you cook for that dinner? Listen, Christians believe some crazy stuff. Really crazy. I'm sorry, but we do. Right? We believe that a virgin had a baby. That's crazy. We believe in physical healings. We believe angels talk to people. We believe you should try to love your enemies. That's crazy. It's okay. You can admit it. (laughs) That's hard for people to understand. But none of it is as crazy as this, what's going on around this table, that death does not get the final word in our lives. That final thing that hangs over us our whole lives, our ultimate fear, the one we can't get away from no matter how much we work out at the gym, right, or how much money we have, death hangs over everyone. That thing at this table, beaten. If that's real, if death isn't permanent, if people come back to life, if Lazarus is laughing at dinner, that changes everything. Nothing is the same after that. And I think that's what happens to Mary. She must be so overwhelmed seeing Jesus in her house again. Because he's the one who made that happen. And it's, it's so much. All of that emotion, the gratitude, the amazement, the awe, the dissonance is just building in her chest and her heart is pounding. Because of you, my brother is alive. He's alive. When he was dead. And what can she do? What would you do? I mean, if somebody in your family who was dead is having dinner, I know I keep asking you the same question over and over, but you you have lost people. If they show up at dinner at your table, what would you do? If someone who is dead is alive, pour out the oil, right? Spill that thing. (laughs) Honor him. Give him everything you have. Your very self, the interruption, the oil running all over, the smell, the intimacy of his feet and her hands and her hair. Well, all of a sudden, I mean, that just makes sense. That just feels like the only thing you could do. Because the rules have changed. It's a new game now. It's a whole new day. Death has lost its power, and the only thing that makes sense is to empty yourself at Jesus' feet. In fact... The chief priests are so worried about Lazarus because, of course, he came back from the dead. They're so worried because this guy who's back from the dead is causing a stir. And all kinds of Jews are following Jesus now. They believe in Jesus because Lazarus is walking around again. Of course they believe in Jesus now. Lazarus is hanging out with them. Everybody is changing their lives because death does not have any power anymore. Now, I understand that we live in a season where we don't see death beaten every day. The now and not yet, right, where we we know that Jesus has already overcome death, but the kingdom of God isn't here in its fullness yet, so we're kind of in between. 
we believe it now and we see it in part, but the fullness, that hasn't arrived. And that means that for all of us, death still feels really real and very present. I mean, for me too, right? My grandpa Leon, this is my sweet grandpa, he's waiting to have quadruple bypass surgery and he's 82 years old, so we know it's a risk. And we're enjoying every minute with him because we know we don't have very long. I mean, even if the surgery goes well, we might not have that long. And even in the Bible, Jesus doesn't heal everyone. He doesn't bring everyone back from the dead. It's not like that. But in this Lent series, the series leading up to Easter, when we're getting ready to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection, we find this story from today. This story takes place about a week before Jesus was crucified. So in the final days of his life, one of the lessons that Jesus wanted his dearest friends to learn was that death is not the end of the story. He has power even over death. And so our challenge as we pay attention to Mary is to follow her example in responding to that. If death is beaten, then friends, it is time to pour out the oil, spend the money, drink the good wine, <laughs> really celebrate, and then kneel down and offer yourself to Jesus with your whole heart. And I'll say one more thing. It's true that Christians believe some crazy stuff, especially that death isn't the final word. But that crazy stuff is what makes Jesus such an amazing God to follow. That is what changes our lives. And so if you're listening this morning and you have not decided to follow Jesus, but you would like to, this is the time. This is the time. I'm going to pray for us this morning. We don't do this every day, but I, you know, I was writing the sermon and I thought, well, that's really where it goes, isn't it? It really moves us to decide, do we want to follow Jesus with everything we have? And so I'm going to pray for us. And if you're here and you'd like to follow Jesus, you are very welcome to agree with me as I pray this prayer and make that decision today. So I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes and I'll pray for us. Jesus, I hear these stories about you and I am so amazed. You are amazing. And today, I believe, along with Mary and Martha and everyone at that table, that you have power over death. I believe that you called Lazarus out of the grave. I believe that just a week after this story, you died. And I believe that three days after that, you came back to life, beating death once and for all. And this morning, I want to tell you that I love you. And I respond to you by giving you everything I have, my very self. I want to follow you. While people's eyes are closed, if you are praying that prayer for the first time, would you raise your hand or look up and make eye contact with me? I just want to know who you are. Thank you.
Jesus, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing among us today, bringing new life. Thank you for this story. Thank you for your word, which is so powerful. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. Would you bless us and keep us as we go from here? Amen.